0: I was hit about the head uh, and some friends told me that the man was Frank Gilly and that he hit me in the head with a flashlight. I did not see the flashlight myself, but as he was shoving me out the door, my head hit the door. I was taken out uh, the door to Mr. Gilly's car and handcuffed to take me to jail along with Terry Steve and Terry Castleberry.
1: You're listening to Uncovered, The Lover's Lane Murders. I'm Kayla Branch, and at the end of Episode 2, we first heard the name Frank Gilly as a possible suspect in the murders of Cheryl Benham and David Sloan in early May of 1970. The case becomes exceedingly complicated and twisted from here on out, so be prepared. We just listened to the voice of Mike Brake, the reporter from the Oklahoma Journal who covered the Cheryl Benham-David Sloan case in the early 70s. He's reading a statement from a boy in Amarillo who witnessed a crucial altercation involving Frank Gilly. The boy had been dropped off at a party in late May or early June of 1968, and later in the evening he got into a fight until Gilly pulled him off. Gilly was white, 5'8", and close to 180 pounds. Born on December 28, 1935, he was in his mid-30s during the early 1970s. He had lived in small towns in northern Texas his whole life and spent over a decade in the Amarillo area as a sheriff's deputy for Potter County. He was married multiple times and had a few children. We were never able to get in contact with any of these family members, though.
0: When he got on the elevator there, was a Mexican boy, about 18 years old, on there with us, as well as another deputy. On the way up, Mr. Gilly made several remarks to the Mexican, one remark was he didn't like his face. When we got upstairs, Mr. Gilly was filling out the paperwork on the Mexican boy, and he asked the boy how much money he had, and the boy said $10. Mr. Gilly asked him another question, and the boy answered it. Then the boy said, you didn't put down my $10. And Mr. Gilly said, you accuse me of stealing your $10. He then jumped up and grabbed the boy by the shoulders, shoved him against the wall, and banged the boy's head against the wall several times.
1: Gilly had a clean official record until this incident in 1968. He was taken before a grand jury in Amarillo and indicted, given a suspended sentence and put on probation for an aggravated assault charge, though it was deemed a misdemeanor. He resigned and worked for an amusements company before being hired at the Norman Police Department, according to articles in the Norman Transcript. Now, this detail, the assault charge, is crucial because case investigators used it to show that Gilly should never have been hired by the Norman Police Department in the first place. Officers with assault charges aren't usually allowed to continue policing. But in March of 1970, just two months before the murders, he was hired by Police Chief Bill Hensley. When Gilly started work for the Norman police, he was described by other officers as just having shown up one day. They didn't know anyone knew was being hired. It was a much smaller department then. Often only a few police officers would be out patrolling the city at a time. And there was a tight-knit group. Can you speak a little bit about the relationship between Hensley and Gilly? And-
0: H- Hensley uh, basically hired Gilly on friendship mm-hmm. because Hensley had been... Uh, in, in law enforcement in Texas, where Gilly was.
1: Investigators on the case soon discovered that Gilly had been hired by Hensley without a background check or fingerprints taken, which we were told were normal hiring steps at the time. Hensley claimed that he had gotten a letter of recommendation from one of Gilly's old bosses, but OSBI agent Ken Jacobson said when case detectives asked him to show them the letter, he couldn't find it.
2: Frank and the sheriff from Hensley were all, you know, buddies from out there. And, and uh, we, we asked Hensley if we could take a look at that letter. And he couldn't produce it. He couldn't produce it. And all of a sudden, one day, he said he called, called somebody mm-hmm. and said he found it. And his secretary said he'd gotten mail. We think he called that old sheriff out there and as said, write me a letter from mm-hmm. Frank, you know, and date it back. At
1: this point, as we were learning all of this and trying to connect the dots, we started to have some questions. Did Hensley know about the assault charge? And if he did know, what did he think when investigators were first tipped off by an Amarillo reporter to look into Gilly as a possible suspect in the murders of Cheryl and Dave? According to articles, testimonies, and interviews, Hensley was worried. He agreed to give Gilly a polygraph test unbeknownst to case investigators. Gilly took the test four days after the bodies were found. After the test, Hensley told reporters Gilly was innocent, that the polygraph proved it and then Gilly packed his bags and resigned from the force that same day.
0: His opinion is examined that he answered the relevant questions truthfully, so he passed the polygraph.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, is that difficult to do?
0: Let me tell you who you. it's not difficult to
1: mm-hmm. do
0: for, as a
2: true sociopath. Mm-hmm.
1: Ex-policeman appears victim of hate plot headlines a June 2nd, 1970 article in the Norman Transcript. It chronicles what Gilly called a scandal, telling detectives and reporters there was a plot against him. He said his assault charges and even the call from the Amarillo TV station were retaliation for a contentious sheriff election in Amarillo in 1968, among other things, and that he was being used as a quote, political football. Hensley backed him, saying Gilly wasn't the kind of man to commit any serious crimes, definitely not murder. The articles mention the relationship between Hensley and Gilly, that they had worked numerous cases together when Hensley was a Texas Ranger assigned to Pampa, Texas, and Gilly was still in Potter County, about an hour southwest. Uh,
0: Hensley, I think, after the murders happened, I think he, if not right away, I think he thought, my lord, this guy might have done it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I'm going to look terrible for hiring him, so let's just get him the heck out of town. Hensley was was in cover-up mode at that point. Whether he actually knew or whether it was just, oh, my gosh, this is embarrassing, I don't know. Unclear. I think more likely the latter. I don't think Hensley was convinced that Gilly had done it at Mm -hmm. that point. I think he just thought it was embarrassing to have the guy being investigated. Mm -hmm.
1: Hensley talked about why Gilly left the Norman police force, saying he asked Gilly to go because the assault charges would make NPD look bad. The explanation that Gilly was being framed ended up as somewhat of the official stance of the police department. Hensley is quoted as saying this in multiple articles and testimonies. But agents like Ken Jacobson didn't believe that and kept investigating. Jacobson and a few other agents, like Norman Detective Floyd Nash, dedicated themselves to finding enough hard proof to convict Gilly. They were spurred on by the initial evidence, the assault charge, Hensley hiring Gilly out of line with protocols, and Gilly disappearing. But as 1970 wore on, other facts started showing up that were strange, Jacobson told us, describing them as being too many coincidences to not be connected. Investigators called former colleagues and bosses of Gillies, looking for character statements.
0: Let's see, um, okay, this is a contact with uh, Dave Kelly, who was the, uh, uh, with the district attorney's office in Potter County, Texas. Okay. After interviewing several persons who were personally unacquainted with Frank Gilly, it was the opinion of this officer. The subject Gilly is very capable of committing such an act. I believe that under the right circumstances, especially if the possibility of discovery were probable, that Gilly would not hesitate to kill a person or persons to cover an illegal act he was committing. This is also from Sheriff Johnston, Randall County, Texas, where he worked Gilly worked at one point.
1: Randall County is a small portion of land encompassing the southern half of Amarillo, a lake and a few other small towns with a current population of about 120,000. Potter County, where Gilly was working directly before he came to Norman, covers the northern half of Amarillo.
0: Gilly worked at one point. Uh, Sheriff Johnson stated that he believed Gilly was very much capable of committing the type of crimes involved in this case said, in his opinion, Gilly was a very sadistic personality. Sheriff Johnson cited several incidents in which Gilly was involved while employed by him in which he either beat prisoners or assaulted women who rejected his romantic advances. The sheriff also stated that he had received several complaints from persons who Gilly had interviewed in Lover's Lane situations where he had verbally harassed both the male and the female.
1: They talked to other officers he worked with, and they said he liked to run gullies, a slang term for driving through Lover's Lane areas and harassing teens. Investigators told me that they started to hear rumors that Gilly had an obsession with Lover's Lanes, just like the one where David and Cheryl were found. Officers also started looking into Gilly's personal life, interviewing the woman he was married to in the 70s about his whereabouts the night of the murders. She told them that he was home with her, but later recanted her statement, saying she didn't know exactly where he was. They checked his police car, finding that on an average night, he would drive well over 100 miles on patrol. On the night of the murders, his car logged only about 30. What became the most important, Jacobson told us, was finding the murder weapon. Police questioned Gilly and Hensley, who both said Gilly had never owned a twenty-two caliber weapon, the type of gun used in the murders.
2: There was just like half a dozen guys on the police department that would even talk to us. And uh, one of them was Butch Green. You know, he gave us a statement that Frank did, in fact, carry a twenty rifle on duty in the car. Mm that he shoot rabbits a
1: little Brake had the actual statements that Jacobson is referring to from when Butch was questioned by investigators on November 24th, 1970.
0: They asked Brian, "says were you acquainted with Frank Gilly when he was employed by the Norman Police Department?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He said yes. Do you know if Gilly owned or had in his possession any 22 caliber weapons? He had a 22 caliber rifle in his locker at the Norman Police Department. He also had several pistols of this caliber at his residence in Norman. He had showed me all of these at one time or another and also offered to loan them to me a few days after he came here um, to take crime here for a polygraph test. He this told was me, the
1: same polygraph Hensley had Gilly take shortly after the murders. The test Hensley said proved Gilly's innocence. Test, he
0: told me that if anyone asked about a 22 rifle, which he might own, to tell them no. And then he related to me that the rifle actually did belong to his wife, so he didn't lie. Okay? Jeremy had a conversation with Gilly in reference to his activities when he was a deputy sheriff in Amarillo? He told me of several investigations he had made, also related to me, that during our patrolling for our police department, he asked where any Parkers went. I asked him why, he related to me that when in Amarillo, he used to go out and bust the Parkers up. He would make them get out of the car and harass them and let them go. Did you ever see Gilly with any type of badge other than the one he had? The police department said yes, he had a badge and a black badge holder was sheriff's department badge and so forth and so on.
1: Ten days before Green told investigators what he knew about Gilly, they learned that multiple young couples had recently been harassed by an unknown man on Lover's Lanes.
0: This was a, an Ava, Ava Yvonne Bowden. This was her statement on November 14, 1970. Uh, on June 8, 1970, they'd driven down to Norman. It says, well, we were on a dirt road and we were pulled up toward the west.
1: Bowden and her date Rick had been west of Norman, in the same area that David and Cheryl were just 30 days earlier. And it's important to remember here that Gilly left the Norman police force on May 15th. This incident is alleged to have happened in early June. And it's also important to remember the climate of the time, that even though the majority of Norman's community trusted law enforcement officials, the younger generation was having increasingly negative run-ins with officers, whether through protesting or individual incidents. Back to break, reading Bowden's statement.
0: It's where the sun was going down, and we were watching the sun go down. And the sun had gone down, and we were still there for a few minutes. And a car drove by, and I didn't see it. But Rick did, and about 10 or 15 minutes later, we looked up. I don't know how long this guy had been standing there, but we looked up, and there was a man standing there, and he had a badge, and he showed it to us. The badge was in a black holder. He told Rick that it would cost us. It would cost us a $20 fine each, uh, or he'd have to take us down to the... Mm-hmm. As he was leaning up against the front of the car and he asked me if Rick and I, I think this was one of the first things he said, if Rick and I had ever gone all the way together or something like that and I told him we hadn't and he asked me, he told me that if he asked Rick if I was a virgin and Rick told him I was, and he asked me if I had ever had sexual intercourse and then so forth and so mm-hmm. on. He said if I went out in the woods and took off all my clothes, uh, he wouldn't take me to jail.
1: Slowly, multiple other young couples started to come forward, and they told stories like this one, of being out in a Lover's Lane area and getting harassed by a man claiming to be with the Sheriff's Department. When the couple started coming to police, investigators put together a lineup of photos of officers. And even though these statements were coming in after the murders of Cheryl and David, police were including pictures of Gilly.
2: And so we showed them photographs, and they picked Gilly, Uh, showed them photo lineup, And we we ended up with seven couples, 14, that picked Gilly's picture out that claimed that this had happened to them on Lover's Lane.
1: Next time on Uncovered, the Lover's Lane Murders.
2: It turns out, you know, there there weren't that many people working toward the same goal. Um,
0: Frank Gilly did it. What more do you want me to say?
1: What all he did to how many people? (laughs) After Sherry and Dave,
2: uh, who knows?
1: When Jacobson and the team of investigators finally have enough evidence to put real pressure on Gilly, they run into opposition from Hensley and other Oklahoma law enforcement. Two years later, it seems like charges might be put against Gilly, but nothing is certain.